0: Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au This week we're going to get back to Galatians and uh, just to help set the scene where we're going, how would you feel if you found the truth that would truly set people free to find God in a true way and also to set them free from their destructive lives and they grabbed that truth wholeheartedly and you saw that change and you saw that transformation take place in their lives. How would you feel? Pretty good, wouldn't you? Actually, they've got it. They've understood it and you're actually seeing life transformation take place. What then if you discovered that some other people came along and began to distort everything you had said to set these people free and they changed it all and then threw those people back into confusion and maybe some of them returning back to their old way of life again? How would you feel then? Not so good. Probably quite bad actually, wouldn't you? Well that's where we're going to find Paul today as he's addressing the Galatians and this is the reason why he writes this whole letter to them. He's laboured to show them Christ through Jesus through the gospel but now some are walking away from that as they listen to false teachers who've come into the church. So if you've got your Bibles uh, go to Galatians chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 6 through 24 just the remainder of that chapter. Okay, starting at uh, verse 6. I am astonished you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ? For I would have you know brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing and said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have today to open up your living and eternal word. We ask and pray now, Holy Spirit, as we come, please, please open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our heart, our mind to hear your words to us today. There is one true gospel, Jesus Christ alone. Help us to see that and grasp that, uh, we pray. We ask that in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, I don't know whether you picked it up or not when I was reading there, but Paul is pretty fired up over what's happening there in the Galatian churches. In all of Paul's other letters, he has this sort of customary greeting. Then he goes into a prayer of thankfulness, thanking the Lord's work in those people, and prayer for the people for their specific needs. That's the customary greeting that Paul has in his other letters. Paul here, though, in this letter in Galatians, has that small greeting, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, And then he gets straight to the heart of the problem with both passion and vigour. He doesn't sort of go into a long prayer prank. He actually just launches into what's happening here. And actually you can feel Paul's emotions as he's writing this to them. You can feel there's something stirring within him as he does that. You can see these really clear convictions and belief that Paul has about Jesus Christ, which utterly shapes and transforms him as a person from the inside out. He's sold out for Christ. He's sold out for the gospel. And there's a sense here that you can see with Paul, as we're reading this, that he's contending for or is wanting to declare with clarity here the truth of the gospel for these Galatians as opposed to any other false teacher or false teaching that they've heard. He's contending for this. He's actually going hard at this. Why? Because Paul did Paul dearly loves the Galatians and is doing all he can to see their souls stay true to Christ and not make shipwreck of their faith by going down a path of falseness. Okay, so here's where we're going to go today as we think about that. There's only one gospel truth about Jesus Christ as revealed through the Bible. And if we turn from it, we do so to our own peril. One gospel truth about Jesus Christ as revealed for the Bible, and if we turn from it, we do so at our own peril. Okay, Paul opens up here with passion. With passion. I'm astonished. I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting Jesus. You're turning away from him. Paul's saying, I'm dumbstruck. I'm amazed, I'm marvelling at how you could do this so quickly, turning away from Jesus. If you look in verse 6 there, you see that. deserting Christ, leaving him high and dry, you're turning to a different gospel, Paul says. What's happened? There's been some false believers or false teachers who've slipped into the church somewhat quietly and they're spreading a false gospel. Not a true gospel. These false teachers are saying that to be saved, you need Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus alone, it's Jesus plus something else. And for their case, they're saying you need to be circumcised and you need to follow the law of Moses. It's Jesus plus that. That's what equals salvation. They're bringing this into the church. And at the same time, these guys are very convincing who are doing this. They're very convincing the way they're actually putting out their false teaching. In verse 7 it says they're troubling the people in the church with this teaching. They're troubling them. These people in the church are now confused. They're hearing this Jesus plus something else. It's confusing. They're not sure which way to turn. Do I believe that or do I believe that or do I bring the two of them together somehow? They're troubled. They're not sure which way to turn in this sense. Paul responds here to these false teachers who have this different gospel. Firstly, in verse 7, he says, there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. There's not many gospels. There's no other gospel. And then in verse 8, he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel different to what we preach to you. Paul uses a really soft word there and he says, let him be accursed. That's not a soft word, is it? Paul sees a really strong word there, says, let him be accursed. In other words, he's saying, let him be condemned forever for doing such an evil act in perverting the gospel. The unadulterated, the pure gospel that Jesus, let him be accursed for doing such a thing. And just in case we didn't get the message, Paul repeats it again in verse 9. He says, and I'll tell you again, let him be accursed. If anybody should give another gospel other than what we have delivered to you in the outset. Paul, with passion and really strong language, is denouncing any other gospel than what he has preached to them when he first arrived to those churches in the region of Galatia. What's he saying in summary? It's only one gospel. There's not multiple gospels. There's not another one there's not a different one there's only one gospel message often they say Christianity is narrow absolutely narrow on the one person and the one gospel of Jesus Christ Paul actually gives us a picture of that gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 in case you're wondering what is that gospel we're just going to capture it here the way Paul tells it to the Corinthians in uh, 15 verses one to four now, That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It's the gospel there in just a few verses. Christ died for our sins. He actually died to bridge the gap between us and God that we had made by our sinfulness. He died, paid the price of those sins. What else did Jesus do? Well, he was buried. But three days later, he rose from the grave that resurrection was our justification or our right standing now because of Jesus' death for our sins, fully accepted as full payment for our sins. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with God's word, the scriptures. There's only one gospel message, which is our salvation. It's Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. No confusion there, and that's what Paul's going to actually unpack for these Galatians through the rest of the book. But Paul here initially, and then moves on next to this source of this one true gospel. Okay, he said there's only one gospel, and he now begins to sort of move to the source here. First in verse 11, he tells them what I preached to you when Paul originally came through these uh, the region of Galatia. He said it wasn't man's gospel, it wasn't conceived by a man made sort of concoction of ideas, and we sort of pieced this together and made it the gospel message. No. And in verse twelve he actually says that for us here. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the gospel wasn't a bunch of men meeting in a room somewhere smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. Let's try and think of a gospel message. It wasn't that. What it was, was a direct revelation from Jesus alone. Paul says, no one taught it to me. Jesus actually taught this to me, not man. Paul says, I received it from a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. The source of Paul's gospel is, a, is directly from Jesus alone. Now, we might just stop right there and say, who do you think you are, Paul? Do you think you've got some sort of direct line to heaven? Some might think that. You got this from Jesus, the Son of God? You got some this connection from him? All to that, the Christians would respond, yes, absolutely. That's our faith. That's what we believe. We believe that Paul met the risen Christ. That is the faith that we have. That is the faith that we believe, that Paul had personally been with the risen Jesus and Jesus had revealed to him the truth of who he was, and what he's done, and what to now communicate to the churches as he travelled around the Roman world of that day. We believe that Jesus, uh, that Paul had that encounter with Christ, and maybe more than once. We don't know exactly, but maybe more than once. What is Paul? Paul is an apostle chosen by Jesus to be his representative to help build the church. Jesus specifically chose the men, revealed the truth of the gospel to them, and they were the apostles to go out now and to preach and proclaim this to the other churches, to grow the church. All of the letters that we have in the New Testament here, the second half of the Bible, are holy in spirit inspired writings of the apostles... To teach about Christ, to teach the church about Christ, and to teach and apply the gospel to our lives as well. This is what the second half of the Bible is. It's the apostolic writings. It's the writings of the apostles from Jesus to teach us. Who is Jesus? What has he done? We believe that they had encounters with the risen Christ and have been told what to write to the churches. That's what we believe. Jesus did have a a direct um, relationship with Paul to give to him that revelation. Now Paul goes on in these verses here, from uh, one chapter 30, uh, sorry, chapter one verse thirteen to chapter two verse ten, and what Paul does here is he, he validates his testimony here as a true source of this gospel as an apostle here with the other already recognised apostle. He actually goes through this validation process here to help the Galatians to see that. Verses 13 and 14 he says here, in my pre-Jesus days I was a zealous Jew persecuting the Christian church. What was he doing? He was killing Christians with the um, religious high priest approval to go and do so. This is a corrupted sect who is actually distorting God. You go kill as many Christians as you can find. That's what Paul did in verses 13 and 14. The Damascus Road experience takes place in verse eight, where Paul sees the risen Christ on the, on the road to Damascus and he's born again. He's a new man altogether. Go back into Acts about nine or so and you'll see that stirring story there of Paul. And then after that, Sometimes there's some great little details we pick up here. He goes into Arabia and he spends three years on his own. Sometimes we sort of think, didn't he just launch straight into ministry? No. had the Damascus Road experience and then he actually went into Arabia and spent three years on his own. Who knows what he was doing there, probably studying the Old Testament and just seeing Jesus popping off every page as it were. All of a sudden it come alive to him. Then it says he tells us he went down to Jerusalem for about 15 days and he saw only Peter and James which was really hardly any time to learn much from them but just more telling the Galatians I did go down and see these guys just for a short period of time after I spent three years in Arabia and then in Galatians 2.1 we see that he spent another 14 years in relative obscurity, probably again going deep into the scriptures to ground himself in the gospel of Christ. So That's 17 years. He's not really on any great missionary journeys at all at this stage. He's probably doing some minor itinerant preaching in the the synagogues where he is, where he was allowed to do that. But that's 17 years before he's actually really launched into ministry. Then he returns back to Jerusalem for another visit at this particular time. And then he says there in t- uh, chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says he put before the apostles the gospel that he was preaching at that time. So for seven, years of studying who Christ is and thinking about this and getting it carefully laid out in his own mind, he puts that before the other apostles who are recognised as the apostles of Jesus. After the apostles hear what Paul's been preaching and telling these other synagogues where he has been, in verse 7, he says this. On the contrary, when they, that is, Peter and James and then when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel, they recognized that, Paul, you have got it. You've got the gospel. To the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. And again in verse 9, this is Paul validating his testimony. And when James and Cephas and John, who seem to be pillars, Perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and myself, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. You might say, What's the right hand of fellowship? Well, they're saying, Paul, you've got it. Paul, you are right on target. Paul, the truth that's been revealed to you by Christ is the truth. It's the same truth that Jesus has revealed to us, that He taught us while He was here on earth for the three years that we walk with Him. Brother, keep at it. You're on song. You've got it right. It's validating here Paul's message. And this is where Paul is trying to land in this early part of the Galatians. He's trying to get through to them. There's only one true gospel, not multiple gospels. There's one true gospel. that's Jesus alone as revealed through the scriptures. And if we preach another gospel other than that, we are accursed. Strong words there, but that's where he's landing. One gospel. That's what you've got to find, Galatians, again, to get yourself back on track. So that's what's happening in this early part here. And what I'll say here, that what Paul is saying has direct relevance for us today as well. Direct relevance. This Bible may be 2,000 years old, and parts of it are older than that. It actually speaks into our hearts and lives today. Galatians is not just written for the Galatians. It's written for anybody who's here today and have got ears to hear what, we, what the Spirit is saying to us. And here's what I'll say about it. As we think about what Paul just said, we have to be really careful about what we listen to when it comes to shaping and building your life on what you believe about the gospel have to be really careful about what you're listening to and hearing and then going and building your life about it, thinking it's the gospel. Really careful. In some respects, our times today are more dangerous than the times of 2,000 years ago with false teaching back then. Why is that? Well, we have this marvellous thing called the internet. It's marvellous. We can use it for all sorts of wonderful purposes to gain really helpful information about life. But it can also be a deadly place for destroying and corrupting our souls. You can find anything you like on the internet these days. If you just go into Google and type in something in there, you'll probably come up with thousands of hits. It'll bring up a whole range of things that you can choose from here to try and work out what you're looking for. And if you know anything about the internet as well, there has this other thing called algorithms. It knows what you're searching for. And the more times you look for something, it picks up and sets up a pattern here. This person likes that, so I'm going to just keep throwing them in that direction. It's called algorithms. They actually build into the search engines. If you're looking for a jockey wheel for your boat, you type in jockey wheel for sale or something on Google and it brings up all these hits and the next time you go to a computer a day later, it's sort of still bringing up jockey wheels for sale for your boat. And you thought, I never knew there were so many jockey wheels for sale around Shepherd, and they're just everywhere. It's these algorithms that are just working and directing you down a pathway where you want to go. I, I didn't look for all these ones but they just keep coming. Why is the internet a dangerous place? Because the internet is a wash with false teachers of a false gospel and you know what? They're probably one or two clicks away. You type in what you want and it's probably only one or two clicks and it'll start to take you down that pathway. And if you get onto a false teacher via Google or YouTube, they'll send you down the path of heaps of other false teachers when they build that algorithm into what you're looking for. Are you looking for that? Okay, well, I'll just send you down some more pathways of that as well. That's what happens. It can be a dangerous place. And when you get onto some of these sites, these false teachers will have very slick presentations that look so smooth that these guys can talk underwater. These guys can sell ice to Eskimos. These guys are so professional what they do. And some of them will even have Bible passages sprinkled through their false teaching as well. And you look at it, and it's yeah, it's got scripture in it, but but there's something different about it. Well, you might say that, or you might say, I think I like what I see. You see, if anybody is adding anything extra to Jesus when it comes to salvation, it's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. Jesus plus you need to be baptised to be saved. Or Jesus, plus you need to speak in tongues to be saved. Or Jesus, plus you need to follow this set of rules or processes to be saved. False, false, false. Don't buy it. Don't sign up for it. Don't subscribe it. Don't like it. Don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Run away from it as fast as you can. Don't go near it if it's Jesus plus anything. See, if there's one key that Satan will use to undermine and to divide the church and to even destroy believers, it'll be through false teaching. What's it do? It just gets in really subtly, just sort of creeps in subtly and then it grows like a cancer and begins to destroy every cell in your body or every cell in the body of the church bit by bit by bit, if it's left unchecked, if it's not held up. If it's not, stopped. What do we do here at Exchange? Well, we have the responsibility here of church elders to guard the purity of the gospel and to warn about false teachers. Now, does that mean Todd sends out a list of false teachers every week on the email? No. No. If I did that, I wouldn't have enough emails to send out. They'd be just every day they'd be coming out. But what we do here as a church to guard the purity of the gospel, if we sense that there's some sort of false teaching working its way here into exchange, we will carefully, lovingly, but firmly guard the gospel. We will not let it be altered. We will not let it be changed. Not only is it our responsibility as elders to guard that, but it's also every other Christian's responsibility to be discerning about what you're listening to. That's why you've got to be careful. I can't stop you from what you're doing on the internet and what you click on and what you follow and what you listen. I can't do that. You need to actually be discerning about that. As the lead pastor here, I need to be held to account. What did Paul say? Even if an angel or anybody else preach another gospel, as the lead pastor, I must be held to account. If I am straying for the gospel, I must be pulled up. I welcome that. Really welcome that because I don't want to lead anybody astray. I have to stand before the Lord for full account of all that I say, even what I'm saying right now before the Lord. And I don't want to lead anybody down the wrong path. That's the last thing I want to do. Every human teacher is fallible. There is not one infallible teacher on the planet. Never will there be one. We all must be held to account. There's not one gospel. Sorry, there's not many gospels. There's only one gospel. What's also careful here is to not buy into the culture around us when it comes to people claiming truth, particularly the way people talk about truth as well. Maybe you've heard this saying before, what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me. You do your truth and I'll do my truth. I'm sure you would have heard that as you actually sort of serve around on the internet. The mantra sounds nice and pleasant, that we all live happily ever after sort of stuff because you're doing your truth and I'm doing my truth. But that's just not on. It doesn't work. There's not, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. The reason being here, there's no objective truth when we start to think like that or talk like that. Everything becomes a subjective truth. Objective is like real facts. It's indisputable this is true but subjective truth is something that is subjective to my feelings if I feel good about this and it pushes my buttons well then it'll be true to me if it doesn't feel good to me and doesn't push my buttons well then it's not my truth it's a subjective way of trying to think about truth it's a truth then if it's if it's based on these subjective feelings it has no objective reality subjective truth, objective truth, two very different things. Now let me illustrate here to help you think about how this looks. Some people may picture God or some supreme being as one who sits on top of a mountain. Just imagine that God's up there and at the bottom of the mountain there's multiple trails and paths that are leading up the mountain to get to God. You might have heard there's many ways to God. You find your truth and you follow that pathway. Subjectively, Not objectively, subjectively, you walk around the bottom of that mountain and you find the path that suits you, that makes you feel good, that pushes your buttons. Maybe Buddhism makes you feel good. Okay, I'll take that pathway up to God. Maybe Islam makes you feel good. Okay, I'll take that pathway up to God. Maybe it's Jesus plus rituals and plus good works. That makes you feel good. Okay, I'll take that pathway. Or or maybe it's new age thinking and self-awareness and that path makes me feel good. I'll take that path up to God. Now, I get that we want to feel good about what we're doing. Totally. Who likes to feel bad about what we're doing? You don't want to do We, We do want to feel good. But we can't let feelings, particularly subjective feelings, dictate where our life goes and what we'll build it on. Why is that? Because feelings are subjective and they're not always rational. I don't, but pretend I do. I love chocolate. I could live on chocolate. I just want to live on chocolate. I feel good eating it and consuming it. That's my subjective feeling. But objectively, is that going to be good for me at the end of the day? But it makes me feel good. So this is this subjective feelings. They're not always rational. It's it's emotional and not rational. So when it comes to God, it's not about what feels right to me in a subjective sense, and I'll take that pathway. When it comes to God, it's about the objective truth that he's revealed about himself that I must pay attention to. Not what makes me feel good, but what he's actually said about himself. And if the truth be known, as far as the gospel is concerned, obviously there aren't many ways to God, there's not, and you choose your own path. The truth is that actually if there was a mountain and God was on there, God actually comes down the mountain to rescue us in Christ because we could never climb any mountain to get to God. He actually comes to us. And if the truth is really known, this is what Jesus said in John 14. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He wouldn't be a popular guy, Jesus, would he, if he was around today. Jesus, you are very narrow-minded. In fact, you're probably a bigot as well, Jesus. It's the truth. Regardless of how I feel about it, it's the objective truth. And when you do embrace that truth, you actually feel really good about it too, mind you, because it's the truth. Now, what also goes hand in hand here with being careful with what we hear and what we believe is this. Well, what's the source of this truth? Particularly if you're surfing around the internet and trying to think, okay, do I believe what I'm hearing here? Do I believe what I'm reading? What's the source? Well, this is where Paul is going here with the Galatians as well, in this validation of his testimony here. What do we live in? We live in a world of misinformation. I'm no fan of his, but as President Donald Trump put it a few years ago, fake news. We live in a world of misinformation. The whole COVID-19 thing uh, heightened or actually highlighted the problems here of misinformation or sources of, of information there a few years ago. There was wild speculation on both sides of the COVID debate. Either oh, people for the vaccine sort of showing all these things they had found about it and people against the vaccine and showing all the things they'd thought about it. People actually seeing something on the internet and just quickly reposting it like it was groundbreaking science they'd seen for the very first time. But did anybody ever stop to check the source of some of that stuff they were just quickly reposting at that time? It shows you at that time it was just crazy. People weren't going to, they were just putting anything up. And it's just got this very polarised debate. Did anybody stop to make sure the source was an unbiased study of the facts and actually these facts were gathered in a right sort of um, atmosphere of doing studies? Did anybody check? Well, people just reposted stuff without checking the source. Got to check the source. It's no different with the gospel we hear. What's its source? Where did it come from? Who says it? Now, there is no new revelation of Jesus Christ to anybody today. There's no new revelation. There's nothing new coming out that God's trying to reveal to us now and tell us about. Now, that all stopped with the canon of Scripture, the Bible, completed by the death of the apostles. The apostle John died late in the first century. He was the last one to write inspired Scripture for us. You so if we see or hear anything to do with the gospel that someone is teaching, we have to go to the source to see if it's true. That's our responsibility as Christians. We should be people of the truth seeking out the truth here. Is this true? is it not true? What's our source? Well our source is the Bible. That's our source. Is it in here? If anybody's trying to teach you some new doctrine or strange doctrine that doesn't quite line up with the Bible, don't buy it. Even if it sounds good, don't buy it. Even if it makes you feel good, don't buy it. Don't give it a single millimetre. Don't give it another click. Don't spend another second there. If you can't trace it back to strong, sound, biblical foundation, don't go there. That even takes time as well, because you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. If you take it out of context, the Bible will say anything. But you need to read it back into its context and understand how the Bible is written. Then you can actually say, that's just not true. That's just not right. That is not biblical. That is not what the gospel tells us. You see, here's the danger that Paul's highlighting for the Galatians and it's no different to us. We can easily become like the Galatians, listening to false teachers, buying into it. And the result of that was, just like them, they began to desert Jesus. They just began to walk away because they just bought a whole other lie because it sounded good and it felt good. And they just left Jesus high and dry. Jesus plus anything for salvation equals nothing. Jesus plus anything for salvation equals nothing. There's no salvation in Jesus plus anything. There's only one gospel. There's only one Jesus. There's only one salvation. Now, I don't know what you're trusting in today, but if you are trusting in anything else other than Jesus alone, you're in great danger. You need a total reset back to Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone. That is where salvation is found. Jesus has come to rescue and save, and Jesus has come to call us to the truth. And that truth, when you get that, it is a joy. It is a joy to know that. You're not dragged there. It's a joy to know Christ and to embrace that truth. That's the truth that Paul wants us to begin to embrace now as we work our way through the book of Galatians. Let us pray. Father, today as we come and as we just look at this first chapter here and begin to see where Paul is going the Galatians, Father, I thank you for the work that you are doing in Paul's heart. He's looking at these Galatians and he sees them walking away from the path, Lord, and it stirs him up. And so it should, I pray, Lord, if we would see that ourselves, we would too would be stirred up. Make us people, I pray, Holy Spirit, people that are hungry for the truth, people that are hungry for Christ, people that know our Bibles, people that know the truth, people that know Jesus So that, Lord, when that false gospel or when that false teaching or when that strange doctrine or strange belief comes by us, whether we hear it or we read it, I pray that your spirit and your word working together within our minds will say, No, that's wrong. That's off track. And I pray, God, that you would keep us and preserve us in that glorious truth you've given to us. And that through that, Lord, we would grow strong believers enjoy with the truth that's been revealed in our hearts and I pray Lord as we continue this pathway into Galatians that you would uh, unpack that truth and it would fill our hearts uh, with the beauty of Christ and the joy of Christ for the salvation he's called us to keep us we pray Holy Spirit and we ask that in Jesus name Amen We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person so consider yourself invited to be with us.